You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, uh, I don't want to bring up a sensitive subject here, but it seems as though you've fallen on hard times. Why do you say that, Chad? Well, I I was following your uh, riveting journey across town to my house a lot of people would call it a hero's quest but that's that's up to you whether you want to call what i just did a hero's quest your decision to make. no no we all we quest. all we all tuned in for the hero's quest on social media yeah uh look man if you got secretly laid off by mma junkie like weeks ago and you need a loan or something just ask i'll help you out man we've been doing this podcast for a while together oh see i see what's going on here you think because a man takes the bus environmentally conscious what with the global crisis uh and that, orders a clearly like dollar 50 slice of pizza for his lunch i believe it was like 250 okay um but you know what just because i don't have to go show out all the time blinged out like a chad dundas everywhere right. i go you know wearing my diamond rings on everybody's noses and then if you would have looked up from that slice of pizza you would have seen me breeze by in my convertible probably putting a hand up to catch my top hat as it blew off in the wind adjusting your monocle i'm just saying man if you need help reach out i'm just glad that i made it i made it it's a lovely fall day i made it successfully to the north side i was a little worried at one point when i was crossing over the railroad tracks you know over here to the bad side of the tracks as i was crossing over saw a man past me with a baby in a stroller and i you know i gave the man a friendly nod and then i happened to look into the stroller and the baby looked me dead in the eye and said do you know where you at and then i just started running i don't i blacked out after that that i came to and i was here that strikes me as an exaggeration nope that's 100 percent accurate did you uh bring me any gifts any uh you got anything for me today what the hell is wrong with you well, i was looking here on my calendar it says it's international bosses day so i thought you might bring me a a token of your appreciation. Yeah, I got something for you. I got something right here. Let me, let me dig it should out I, of the old pocket here. Should I narrate there, this? There it is. Oh, it was not a present. Well, you know what? I got another one. I got another one right here. Boom. There it is. Do you know both at the same time? New sponsor alert. We're always happy to welcome new sponsors to the CME, but this week we're even more excited than normal because we get to work with a longtime high-profile MMA fan, a really good guy, and a frequent CME listener. We're so stoked to say that this week's co-main event podcast is brought to you by TGT Studios. TGT Studios is a small and highly specialized furniture and design shop operated by our guy Kyle Miller. Kyle is a third-generation woodworker and artist whose shop is located on the far west coast of Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Right now, TGT Studios is offering up for sale its custom-made Nixie clocks, handmade using vacuum tubes sourced from abandoned factories in Russia. Over 125 clocks have been made to date, with one serving as the in-studio clock for the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. But Ben... Can you tell the kids at home exactly what I mean when I say Nixie clock? I sure can, Chad, because obviously I'm an expert in such matters. In the simplest terms, Nixie tubes are glass vacuum tubes used to display glowing digits. The tubes were used primarily in the 1960s in Soviet bloc countries. The use of Nixie tubes eventually fell out of favor, and the tube factories were abandoned and excess stock was stored away. That is, until TGT Studios employed a ragtag team of Russian scavengers to raid those factories. The tubes used in TGT Studios clocks are sourced directly from musty old factories in Starry Oskol. We don't know that Fedor and his family worked in those factories making tubes. But we don't know that they didn't either. TGT Studios uses these vintage tubes to craft a unique and anachronistic series of clocks. The clock series have been described alternately as retro-modern, steampunk, neo-Victorian, and Mad Max-esque. Yeah, the clocks are handmade in a range of premium hardwoods like American Black Walnut, Bloodwood, which I don't even know what that is, but it sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. Purple Heart and Maple. Each unit is kitted out with a range of hardware as well as a GPS module optionally allowing the unit to be set via satellite, which that's high tech. 
Each clock features over 700 backlighting configurations and comes fully assembled. No programming or technical experience is necessary for operation. Each clock comes etched and signed, uh, branded in solid steel. So if you want to know more about uh, the Nixie clocks available from TGT Studios, you can just go to the website uh, tgt-studios.com and check out all the stuff. Order up a Nixie clock and hey, get this. If you enter the promo code CME, you can receive 40% off your order with a free GPS module included. That's right. I said a 40% off, which is insane. Just go to tgt-studios.com or you can file, follow Kyle on Twitter at TGT Studios. Did I ever tell you about the uh, time me and Kyle drank across various bars in Canada? I was just going to ask yeah. you, but let me plug the Instagram first. Okay, sure. Plug the Instagram. At TGT Studios, also yeah. on IG. I follow them on IG. Yeah, so tell the story. You and Kyle, you met up with Kyle. Yeah, a couple times. You, uh, and, I would, you and Kyle are bros. We are bros. We, uh, you know what? And he has a sweet move that he used to pull at UFC events when he would go. When they were in Canadian cities. I met up with him first in Vancouver, and uh, we were drinking at some bar, watching a Stanley Cup final game when the the Canucks were in the Stanley Cup finals. And Bruce Buffer happened to come into the bar, and then happened to put his hands all over some young lady who was there uh, drinking, and it seemed like kind of trying to hit on Kyle a little bit. He's a he's a tall, good-looking guy. Um, but then he, it seemed like Bruce Buffer left tickets for the girl, and the girl was like, I don't want to go see like a UFC fight. I don't know who the hell that guy is. Uh, and so Kyle was like, all right, like right, I'll just like, like – he, Bruce Buffer let, left him at Will Call or, or left him, I think, at the hotel. Uh, and Kyle was just like, oh, yeah, Bruce left some tickets for me and my friend. Uh, we want to go see the fights. And he got the tickets. And then we met up again in Winnipeg. Uh, I think he tried to pull the same move in Winnipeg just on the off chance that maybe Bruce Buffer does this everywhere he goes. I don't think it worked in Winnipeg. But we did have a pretty sweet time just traveling around to various bars. That story took numerous turns yeah? from start to finish. I'm telling you, it was, uh, it was, these were wild times. I feel like we really just put Kyle over. Like, whatever we charged him, we should have doubled it. <laughs> hey, I mean, I've, I've followed his stuff on Instagram and Twitter and everything. He also, he made a, uh, like, a, some custom microphone for T-Pain. Yeah, he worked with T-Pain. Yeah. Now, see, we were going to talk about that maybe next week, but here you've ruined it. Okay. Well, no, I'll, I'll say no more. Incredibly talented, though. Yes. As a person like myself who knows absolutely nothing about woodworking, extremely talented. Now, see, that surprises me. I look at you, I think, it just screams woodworking. Maybe someday. These soft baby's hands of yours. <laughs> we got music again this week from our old friend, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. Thanks to him for that. And if you like what you hear, you can check him out on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Fifth Element. Follow him on Twitter at The Fifth Element or on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. Ben, how do you suppose the the in The Fifth Element is spelled? I assume with just the regular T-H-E. Oh, you think he wants to look like a jerk? Uh you're saying that it's different? T-H-A. Oh, that's hardcore. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, it seems like Darren Till might want to be the new Donald Cerrone, which is handy because he's fighting the old Donald Cerrone this weekend in Gdansk. And in round number two, let's check in with the Mark Hunt UFC lawsuit, which has now reached the, you piece of shit motherfucker, why you fuckers pull me from the fight, you getting another lawsuit, you fuckwit, you can kiss my ass, you bald-headed prick, middle finger, 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 middle finger stage. And in round number three, the hype for Bisping versus St. Pierre starts now. 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 It's, it starts now now all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff but first like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail listener mail the first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from cody m he writes i'd like to hear your thoughts on the ufc tv negotiations coinciding with the usa soccer team's failure to qualify for the world cup and seemingly destroying fox's chances at profitability after sinking 200 million dollars into the U.S. broadcasting rights. Now, Ben, uh, I assume that we are going to be talking about and tracking this story of the UFC uh, trying to negotiate a new TV de deal moving forward until something gets finalized and maybe even until uh, the current deal with Fox lapses next year. But I feel like this is kind of an interesting aside to this story that the hapless U.S. men's soccer team uh, has failed to qualify for the World Cup, thereby costing the Fox network a lot of money 
and I wonder if that will, in fact, hinder negotiations with the UFC at all, since uh, you'd think WME IMG slash Endeavor. Endeavor. Well, is going to probably want to jack up the price on this thing. Uh, and whether or not they will be able to do that obviously remains to be seen. But uh, do you think this makes it seem like Fox Sports isn't going to have a ton of walking around money, a ton of pocket change? Well, I guess it depends if on how you view it that would a unsuccessful attempt to make some money off of World Cup broadcast rights make you more or less likely to spend big to keep the UFC around? I guess it depends what you think the UFC is worth to you right now and what it, what you think you could do with the UFC if maybe you could work a few changes into that contract. Like one of the things that people have talked about over and over again is gaining a little more control over who gets on what card, what they say per, per pay-per-view and what they give you for you know network and cable TV fight cards. I also wonder though, you know, I've heard this before that like, okay, it's going to be disastrous for Fox now that uh, the US men's team isn't in the World Cup. And I understand that you're going to you much higher viewership for those U.S. men's games. Uh, but typically, there aren't a whole lot of those games in any World Cup because the U.S. never makes it very far when it's in the World Cup. Uh, and also, I mean, the World Cup is still pretty big. It seems like with every World Cup, you know, general American interest or awareness in soccer is a little bit higher. People obviously still going to watch this thing, right? Like, it's not like... People are going to be like, all right, there's no U.S. team in it, which I never th- assume has a chance of winning uh, very or going very far into the tournament. Therefore, I'm just not going to watch it all. Yeah, and then that guy that you've known since grade school is going to suddenly show up in his Italy jersey, right? right? And he's going to be like, yeah. oh, Italia! Yeah. My now, Italian-American heritage that I've always celebrated. Now is the opportunity for everybody to like lean on whatever like 10% of their like heritage they are vaguely recall. Uh, and go for that team. Do you have a sense of what will happen in this UFC TV negotiation? Because, you know, there's there's all kinds of speculation flying around out there. It remains to be seen if the UFC will sign an exclusive deal with, with any network or if it will kind of break up its programming into blocks and try to uh, distribute it among multiple providers, I guess you would say. Uh, it seemed to me like the conventional wisdom might be that the UFC winds up back on Fox just because... Uh, they paid for it the first time, and now, as you said, when talking about this World Cup issue, the UFC provides a lot of content for yeah. Fox Sports 1. And in fact, uh, I've seen some speculation that ESPN might dive into the, to the, to the negotiation process to try to get the UFC away from Fox for the very, uh, you know, among other reasons, I guess, for the very express purpose of de- depriving Fox Sports 1 of like a major cornerstone of its... Uh, of its programming. And then on top of that, you got maybe an outside shot that somebody like Amazon or even Netflix could, could uh, roll in and scoop up the broadcast. Right. So I, to me, it seems fascinating. I don't really know what's going to happen, uh, but there's a lot of speculation out there. I was wondering if you had a, a pet theory that you like. Well, I don't know if it counts as a pet theory, but one of the things that I think is an interesting wrinkle in this is that because of the, the purchase still being fairly recent and because of that, expected increase in TV rights revenue being such a huge piece of that, you know, pitch to investors, like why you should get on board and and buy into a a piece of the UFC. uh, It just seems like you're going into this mentality with like, all right, we have to get a certain amount for the TV rights because that's what we planned on, which seems to me like it can be a dangerous negotiating position. It's like you saying like, all right, I need to sell my car for this much because that is how much I still owe on the payments, which is not a good reason necessarily for somebody else to pay you that much. It's just your reason why you think you need that much. Um, I could see that making some of those negotiations difficult because if so much of your plan is built around like you know a many-fold increase in the TV rights you're already getting uh, – and you only have so much that you could offer a new TV rights partner. Like, how much can you offer beyond what you've already offered, you know, Fox Sports? I, I could see that being kind of a hindrance and making things pretty interesting. And, I mean, maybe the UFC will decide the answer is to break it up. They already, One of the plans outlined in those investor documents was to at least break up the Spanish language and English language portions. Um, I don't know. You know, you, you when you have Fight Pass in your back pocket, you might tell yourself, like, all right, we – we can have this to rely on, especially if we think that uh, just the nature of TV and viewership and all that stuff is changing. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it would be interesting to me to see how many different kinds of players are willing to get into that business. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me. In addition to that, that 
you know, this is obviously a big topic, a big topic in MMA right now, a big topic in the MMA media. I almost never see it presented in, in terms of what would be best for the UFC consumer. It seems like we talk right. a lot about ooh, what's going to be best for the UFC. How will it make all this money? How will Endeavor make its investment back in the UFC? But I always wonder, like, if I'm sitting at home and I don't have a, a, a stake go. in this thing. This is going to be about you not wanting to have the big cable package, isn't it? Well, that's part of it. <laughs> yes. But I mean, just in general, like, what's the best thing for consumers? And I feel like we don't even talk about that anymore because we just assume, like, the UFC is is – is out for the most money that it can make. And it feels like we, we have already conceded like, okay, well the product's not going to get any better. Well, we had the same conversation when it comes to pay-per-views when we're talking about like, Oh, well they try to make GSP Conor McGregor next. We never really talk about like what would be best for the sport or the fans of the sport or anything. It's all, I think we've just become so used to, we understand this is going to be the UFC's mentality. And also the UFC's mentality is going to be, we're going to get that money. Fuck how you feel about it. So I think people just kind of have gotten used to that, maybe kind of internalize that. Since I already have Amazon Prime on my TV, God, how awesome would that be? If the UFC just jumped over to Amazon Prime. See, I knew that's where we were just going Just laying with this. out 10 bucks or whatever it is. You no longer have to worry about whether you get Fox Sports 2. Cut the cord. Look, right? you're, just, you're giddy at the thought of it. Woo. Next question this week comes to us from Dr. Doofus. Huh. He's not a great doctor, but for a doofus, yeah. he's an incredible doctor. Yeah. He writes, a bit of news this week that kind of understandably flew under the radar. On the same day Bisping and GSP will squash their probably fake beef at Madison Square Garden, Greg Hardy will make his amateur MMA de debut at Rise of the Warrior 21 in Florida. We all know his sinister past, but we also know that combat sports fans seem to be rather forgiving of a fighter's criminal past. See Mayweather, Floyd. I'm not saying he's the future heavyweight champ, but Hardy is undeniably a world-class athlete who stands at 6'5", trains at a legit camp, and has Malki Kawa as his manager. He'll presumably fight at heavyweight, which is hungry for new prospects, and at 29, is a baby for the division. I guess my question is, do you think he could end up in a major promotion, and how many voicemails do you think Scott Coker has left him so far? <laughs> Good point, Dr. Dupus. It's a funny line there about, about Scott Coker, but Ben, what to do about Greg Hardy crossing the aisle apparently, into uh, MMA. Am I the only one who, forget the domestic violence stuff for a second, is getting a Bobby Lashley vibe off this, or getting a having a Bobby Lashley flashback? Well, I mean, we've, we've seen lots of people come into mixed martial arts with incredible athletic pedigrees that don't necessarily pan out to be top of the food chain fighters, right? And that, from an athletic, from a purely athletic standpoint, is what remains to be seen about Greg Hardy. Clearly, he's a guy that NFL teams wanted to keep on their roster despite this well-known uh, domestic violence that he had in his past, uh, well-documented, high-profile stuff. NFL teams were willing to keep him around. And when... a complete lack of contrition for it. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we know that, he's, that he is a high, high-level athlete. The question is, can he make the transition to being a, a high-level fighter, which... If there's anything at all interesting about Greg Hardy's transition to MMA, that's probably it. Yeah, well, and the question of, or as Dr. Dubis, the good doctor here, points out, that MMA fans, is, this kind of highlights how we are way more forgiving of that kind of stuff. Maybe just because we're used to it. We're just used to uh, more bad behavior from fighters than people are from pro football players. I don't know. Uh, but the the thing that makes me think of Bobby Lashley is how... Bobby Lashley never got a chance to be just an up-and-coming fighter who people were going to wait and see what he was capable of. And that seemed to definitely affect the arc of his career because it was like, all right, people know you right from the very beginning. And so they're not content to see you fight another 0-0 heavyweight or you know 2-0 or something. like. They're not going to let you work your way up the ranks the same way. And so that person also gets a bunch of promoters who have the dollar signs in their eyes and they're just not as patient waiting for that big payoff there. You know, they're going to give him a couple fights and then they're going to try to groom his rise uh, in a way that doesn't always work. And it was the same thing with Bobby Lashley where it was like, okay, as soon as he lost a fight that he was obviously put in there to win, then it seemed like a disaster. Whereas if he was just another, you know, three or four fight deep heavyweight who lost a fight. So what? It happens. It, it can be more of a growing experience. And I remember you'd talk to Bobby Lashley all the time and he would say, 
all right, like, can I just do this the way everybody else does it? Can I just, like, kind of be a, a fighter who f figures it out as he goes? Or do I have to fight Fedor right now? Uh, and the answer people were kind of like, yeah, I would kind of rather see if I fade right now because you're Bobby Lashley. I, I just wonder if it'll be the same for Greg Hardy. Yeah, it may well be. And I guess by way of that same example, I guess the other end of the spectrum is kind of Brock Lesnar who faced the same challenge, uh, and seemed to go about it very differently than, than, uh, Bobby Lashley did sort of immediately thrust himself into the highest level of competition, ultimately became the UFC heavyweight champion and, and at that time the biggest draw in the sport. But at the same time, once you got to see enough of Lesnar and we saw his last three, four appearances, we started to see the holes in his game. And I always wondered to myself, what would have happened? What would have been the end product for Brock Lesnar if he had been able to have this sort of more uh, normal maturation process where maybe he had, you know, five, six, seven fights before he showed up in the UFC. I wonder if he would have been a completely different uh, MMA fighter by the time he hit the big time. Or if he would have been no MMA fighter at all. By right. Then. Maybe he would have washed out before he even, before he even got there. Uh, let's, you know, just for a couple minutes here, how about non-athletically out of the cage issues with Greg Hardy? I feel somewhat leery slash disinterested uh, in his, his journey as a, as an MMA fighter just because of that outside of the cage violence. Do you feel the same way or are you coming at it from a, these guys are cage fighters, they're not choir boys sort of point of view? Well, no, obviously. I mean, it makes it harder to be supportive of a guy's a mixed martial arts career when you always have to add this, but also kind of like addendum to any time you have a conversation about it. And it also makes you feel, I think as an MMA fan, like, okay, so like... We're the sport where when you get drummed out of something, but you're still a good athlete and have like some modicum of celebrity about your name, like we're the the dancing with the stars of sport, basically. And we'll take anybody. We don't care what the hell you've done. Uh, you know, it's hard to feel good about that as an MMA fan. And I'm sure, you know, I don't think that's something that's going to go away. Like, I don't think that it's going to be a thing in five years where people don't even mention it anymore. I think that that's going to follow no matter what he does. And it's going to be a factor for any major promotion that even thinks about signing him. It's got to be on the back of Scott Coker's mind after all those voicemails. After It's like those voicemails where you, you, you hit end call and then you go, oh God, what did I just do? Is there a way to take that back? Next question this week comes to us from the Jesse White Deer. He writes, so the CME's favorite son, the biggest of all homies, Manny Isaac Newton, gets need all in his grill in Russia and suffers a 43-second loss. Any thoughts on what's next for the hardcore kid? Uh, what of the world's number one Al Capone imposter, Nikita Krylov, Nikita Krylov, uh, where does this win land him? Uh, please let us know and have yourself a good evening. Uh, ben, the big homie yeah. has really fallen on hard times. The universe no longer looking out for Emmanuel Newton to the tune of a one and six record in his last seven fights. Yeah. Just getting the deja vus and coincidences knocked right out of him by, by Al Capone there. And you got to admit, this one, the 43-second knockout uh, to Nikita Krylov is, is I don't know if it's rock bottom because you can go pretty far down in this sport, but clearly this is the, the worst one we've seen yet. Well, it's the worst, like, visually, it looks like, you know, he took the worst beating, but it's not like there's a whole lot of shame in losing to Nikita Krylov. No, no. He's a high-level fighter and, and a guy very much still in his prime. And, and was it Krilov that walked away from the UFC yeah. by his own choice? Yeah. To go back to, to, to Russia, basically, and where it felt like he'd get a better deal and he'd be a, a bigger star for the promotion there. Uh, and it seemed like kind of that maybe the UFC was just a, not quite as interested in some of the Russian fighters and, you know, let him slip away there. But, I mean, it is pretty... You look at his record just in... You know, from the end of the Bellator days, where he, he ended on a three-fight skid there, uh, then won one fight at Fight Night Medicine Hat uh, in 2016, and then another three-fight skid since he's been fighting in Russia. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe we should view it as one of those things that can happen in MMA, where you're on top briefly, and then once the fall happens, man, it can just keep going and going. Yeah, and it must be pretty hard to pull the plug, don't you think? When you're, if you're Manny Newton, you're 33 years old. You probably feel like, uh, I'm, you know, I still got it. I'm a winner, winner two away from being back in Bellator. Uh, and you know, you you probably think two, three of these 
losses in your one and six record. Oh, if I had just done this or I had just done that. Well, of course he I thinks that. We, we heard all his. If he'd just not had a sexual marathon before one of the fights, he would have been all right, right? I guess so, man. <laughs> I guess so. Last question this week comes to us from Anthony in Woodruff, South Carolina. He writes, I know this isn't a wrestling podcast, but I guess I couldn't help but, <laughs> yet, but ask if podcast, you have yeah. seen Kushida also pulling off an unbelievable armbar catch just two days after DJ defeats Ray Borg with the mighty whiz bar. Uh, whether influenced by that fight or not, this happened a week or so out from the fight that ended with the boss and crab. With all that said, what wrestling move would you like to see most used in MMA? I'm gonna say we gotta we can't call this the mighty whiz bar. That's no, that's man. not working for me. Nope, mighty whiz bar. I mean, I still like mousetrap. I hear, I know he says he has another move called the mousetrap. Show us that move. Pull off that move in competition, and then we'll come up with another name for that. But until then, mousetrap, bro. Come on, let's let's not fuck around with this. As far as what professional wrestling move I would like to see employed in an actual fight. Uh, I feel I feel like this is easy. I'm gonna go airplane spin here. Okay. Would like to see someone pull out the airplane spin, and that somebody would just tap due to dizziness. Yeah, maybe either that, either that, or you get them real dizzy and then you put them back on their feet, and, and then, you have the advantage. And then you just toy with as, them. as long as you didn't get as dizzy as they did. Yeah, which you've been training. You've been training to not get as dizzy as they did. But you know what? That other guy hasn't been training. He's not training his airplane spin defense. I guarantee it. That's why it will be so effective. <laughs> okay, fair point. You know, see, I go back and forth between would I like to see one of the more ridiculous moves, like I was thinking torture rack, like just, I just something to see somebody just tap to something that is just completely absurd, or would I like to see something like somebody really just make like a DDT their thing? Because that, you know, you can kind of see that happening in MMA fights from time to time and in various ways. If somebody... You know, you win one fight by DDT and everybody's like, whoa, viral sensation. You win two fights by DDT and you're on the map, baby. I'm just saying, that's something to think about. That's, that's a good point. It's compelling. I like the case that you just made there. Airplane spin, I could see it happening. I could see someone pulling that out. Just gonna, it's going to take a wild, a wild man, a wild person. So basically it's like they get halfway into a fireman's carry, then stand up, yeah. spin around. Yes. Until For an extended period. People are really dizzy. Yeah. You know, see, we've talked before about doing pro wrestling moves on our kids, and my kids love the airplane spin, um, or as I refer to it when I do it to them, the helicopter. Uh, but I found that as I've gotten older, my tolerance for dizziness has just plummeted. Like, they think it's really super fun, and I feel almost immediately sick. Like, I got maybe two helicopter spins in me. Like, each kid can have one, and then I have to stop and lay down for like 15 minutes. We don't want anybody seeing that $1.50 slice of pizza again. No, hey, if I've eaten within the last two hours, there's no way I'm even attempting the helicopter. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, Email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can check out the Breakfast of Champions newsletter that comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. But if it turns out it's not your cup of tea, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, the push begins in earnest toward the end of 2017, as this weekend the UFC travels to Gdansk, Poland, Gdansk, 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 Gdansk. to begin a stretch where it will conduct, I believe, 11 events in the 12 weeks left in the year. So I hope you got any uh, activities or accomplishments out of the way that you wanted to get done before New Year's. Accomplish nothing. Uh, because it's going to be a real wild ride from here on out. Were you like me, Ben, during UFC 216? When the four-minute-long hype video hyping up the main event bout between Donald Cerrone and Darren Till came on, were you first like, what? And then you were like, oh, yeah, this is a main event. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, I don't even know what to make of that what. Is that a good what or a bad what? It was a, why are they doing a four minute long hype video package for Donald Cerrone versus Darren Till on a pay-per-view what? What? I wish people could see how that, that what only comes out of one side of your mouth. But maybe someday. People keep asking for video. Well, I don't, they should be careful what they ask for. You can't unsee that kind of stuff. Well, you know, this, like, if you, regardless of whether you look at this and feel like it screams main event to you, this shit looks like it's going to be some fun, entertaining, memorable violence, does it not? It sure does. In fact, as I said during the intro, you got this guy, uh, Darren Till, Liverpool native, 24 years old, talks a good game, doesn't he? In English or Portuguese. That's right. Uh, here's what I noticed about Darren Till, Ben. Fought eight times during 2013. That's a lot of time. Since then, he's been on a slightly less uh, busy schedule three times during 2014, three times during 2015. Then he must have had an injury because he got a couple years off there. Now, twice so far during 2017. But it strikes me uh, with the talking and the fighting style and the uh, the fast-paced competition, uh, Darren Till shapes up as a young Donald Cerrone, which is why I think it's interesting now that he is fighting the old Donald Cerrone. And it, to that end, it makes me wonder... What are we doing here, matchmaking-wise? Uh, doing the thing where MMA cannibalizes its parts? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Are, are you, if you are the UFC, and we assume that you have a stake in this, in this contest, do you want to get Donald Cerrone a win because he's coming off back-to-back -back losses? Are you trying to get Darren Till over as a young guy uh, who's, who's on a come-up? Or do you just not care and you put this one together because it seems like a heck of a scrap on paper and no matter who wins, I guess you got a guy out of it. Well, yeah, I think that this is one of the things that I like when UFC matchmaking does, which is making a fight where you can work with either outcome. Where you're not, I think that's one of the things that the UFC learned and then maybe at times with certain fighters forgot, which is that you can't make a bunch of fights where you only one result is acceptable to you because as the UFC loves to remind us whenever it books a mismatch anything can happen so you have to be able to work with both outcomes and I think that maybe for the UFC uh in this one a win for Darren Till has a little bit more of a future to it uh, Donald Cerrone I think it would take a lot to where people stop feeling like any Donald Cerrone fight is a fight they want to watch. I think he could lose this one, and still, you book him up against somebody else in the next one who is going to stand there and bang with him and maybe talk some shit with him, and it's not like people will be like, ah, I'm not interested in Donald Cerrone anymore because he's lost three straight. I think, you know, people, they come to expect a, a certain brand out of Donald Cerrone, and he can give you that for a while going forward. But if Darren Till, who is technically really sharp, you know, unbeaten, but has not yet faced, you know, that level of, of experienced MMA fighter. Uh, if he can go out there and beat Donald Cerrone, now you have a guy you can really work with moving forward. On the Donald Cerrone end of things, though, we've talked a lot on the podcast about how he sort of created his own thing, that he sort of didn't even need to really be in the title hunt, that he would, you know, being Donald Cerrone was enough that people would tune in, like you said, because they knew they were going to get a fun fight, and you kind of knew that Donald Cerrone would act like a wild man around it. Since he lost that fight to, to Rafael Dos Anjos back in 2015 for the lightweight title and then sort of reinvented himself at welterweight to the tune of four straight wins, uh, it definitely felt like that was the case. But now you've got these back-to-back -back losses to Masvidal and Robbie Lawler. It's not like he had blown out no he didn't it, it was a competitive fight with robbie lawler it was a fun fight to watch so he's still clearly donald cerrone but i do wonder and like i think that what you said is right that like he will be able to hang around basically as long as he wants and he'll always be able to be a useful part of the ufc machine but i wonder if we are getting to the getting close to the point especially if he were to lose to darren till where you have to look at it and be like okay maybe finally after all this time we've seen like the top of of the cowboy career and now we are into kind of like the tailing off period however long that may be right but i could also see how that we might say something like that then he'd take a couple months off come back at lightweight again and reel off four straight that would not be unthinkable to me either so i i don't know because it seems like we've had that conversation around donald sony before where we thought okay we've seen the upper limit of what he's capable of uh but he is pretty good at kind of reloading coming back and even if he doesn't win them all, he's still so much fun to watch uh, that 
people, it's going to take a lot before people kind of abandon the idea of Donald Cerrone being a Woodwatch fighter. He's going to be a lot of people's guys for a long time. Uh, what I wonder is like, because Darren Till right now, he has a lot of that swagger. A lot of the young Donald Cerrone swagger. And Donald Cerrone's being like, ah, I didn't even really know who this guy was uh, at first when I agreed to fight him. And Darren Till clearly kind of using that as a chip on his shoulder. And to me, it does seem like kind of a perfect bit of matchmaking where he goes out there, uh, declares himself the best striker uh, in the UFC or in the division or whatever it was, however he framed it. And then the UFC says, all right, that's the guy you want to be. Let's put you up against the guy who used to be that guy for us uh, and figure out if you can take his place. I, I mean, that's a, a clear kind of stakes that people can understand, I think. Are we running odds on this thing? What do we got for odds? Because the thing I wonder about Darren Till, as you said, 15-0 and 0 with one, the majority draw uh, in his second UFC fight back in October of 2015. But in all of those fights, I would just point out two opponents with Wikipedia pages. There's True. a lot of black ink on the Darren Till uh, mixed martial arts record here. So this is obviously a huge step up in competition for him against Donald Cerrone. Yeah, uh, and only one finish for Darren Till so far in the UFC, which, you know, you've you got to go in there and go five rounds with a guy like Donald Cerrone, who's a more experienced opponent when it comes to those kind of fights that that might come into play. But right now, looking at the odds, uh, Cerrone, a small favorite, about minus 150. Darren Till going off at about plus 120, plus 130. That's actually more even than I might have guessed. Uh, you thought Donald Cerrone would be a bigger I, favorite? I thought he would be a slightly bigger favorite than that. But I guess that, that speaks well to uh, what the people think of Darren Till. Or it speaks ill of where Donald Cerrone is at, <laughs> yes. one, of the, one of the two. He's right here neck and neck, Donald Cerrone, I mean, with uh, Michael Bisping, I believe, also in terms of uh, all-time UFC wins. Or maybe all-time UFC fights. They're, they're right there neck and neck as... as I believe the the numbers one and two. So you talk about a guy who's been uh, a consistent draw and a heck of a workhorse for the UFC over the course of his career. According to Wikipedia, I don't know if we discussed this before on the podcast, but under the personal section for Darren Till. Okay, we're getting personal now. It says, as a surprise birthday gift to his ex-girlfriend, who is the mother of his child, he got a tattoo of her face on his upper arm. You know, it is always a tricky thing to get a tattoo of somebody's face on your body as I think fighters like Alan Belcher have uh, pointed out to us. But, man, it is really a tricky thing to get a tattoo of the face of somebody who, with whom you are in, are in or have been in a romantic relationship with. Now, see, this the way that is worded, and this, this, uh, this is like a classic Wikipedia sentence. Yes, because is, the way this is tell. worded raises questions, does it not? Yeah, you can't tell if it was his girlfriend at the time or not. Yeah, or did someone have to circle back? Did a Darren Till biographer have to circle back and update this thing? I think it's almost like more touching if you get a tattoo of like, you, you know, she's your ex. You guys aren't together anymore, but you do have a child together. That's, that's going to bond you guys forever. You go ahead and you get that tattoo. It's not like saying, hey, I'm going to love you forever because clearly we, we tried that and it didn't work out. But it is saying, I'm honoring this commitment that in a way must go on. Yeah, also much weirder. Right? Yeah. Much weirder to get a tattoo of your ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that that could, depending on how she takes it, be step one toward a restraining order. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, Chad, do you remember how very recently Ian McCall was out there talking about how he wanted his release from the UFC, how people were going to have to pay him a hundred grand to get him to fight again, how he didn't care if that hundred grand came from... Uh, blood money or you paid him in straight blood diamonds didn't care what kind of dictator you were uh he just needed to make a whole lot of money because that's what the health risk was worth to him yeah i think that was like two weeks ago which in, in mma years is like half a decade ago right yeah well guess what wait a second is ian mccall back ian mccall back uh for a ryzen grand prix oh okay now also because of its grand prix nature you know, you're looking at a couple fights within two or three days, and Ian McCall has just one fight since 2014. He had that. His last win in the UFC was July 19, 2014. He beat Brad Pickett by a decision. Then he fought once in 2015, and then hasn't been healthy enough to do that. Now he's popping right back up in Ryzen and is going to try to tell me. Ryzen wants to tell me that Ian McCall might not only be healthy enough for one fight, 
but for two fights in a matter of a few days. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? I think I was born yesterday. I don't know how Ian McCall do. Making up for lost time, Ben. Fucking kidding me. Ben, I just want to call your attention to this headline that I saw in the MMA media this week. It reads, Man attends MMA event as fan ends up winning a belt in Brazil. To which I say, number one, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Now, you'll recall a week or two ago when we did this, the uh, are you fucking kidding me about the the Boston Crab submission finish in the UFC. uh, I went ahead and and called maybe bullshit on that. I'm not going to call bullshit on Luis Felipe Alvim winning this welterweight title down in Brazil. But I will say, man comes out of the crowd and wins a title. We've been doing that in pro wrestling for a long time. <laughs> this is not the first time we've seen this story, but I do want to point out two kind of awesome things about this story. Number one, that Alvim and his girlfriend uh, came to this local uh, Brazilian MMA event with the intent of selling brownies to raise enough money to buy tickets to go in. Nice. Uh, but when they couldn't sell enough brownies to make the money to go in, Alvim decided to buy the tickets using money that they had been saving to pay bills. Okay. So are you fucking kidding me again for that? That sounds like a shooting wild man right there. He steps in uh, when there's a last minute replacement needed for this welterweight title and he wins it. So he's the he's the champion. Wait, so this... just, did the call just go out over like the public address system? Like we need a replacement? Well, I mean, that's another thing we have to point out about this story. It's not like this dude is some jerk off the street. It's not like. Uh, you know, I went down to the local MMA show and, you know, took a wrong turn on my way to the men's room and wound up <laughs> in a cage. This guy is like a, he, I believe he's referred to in this uh, story as a black belt in Muay Thai, which, okay, that, sure. That's going to be helpful. Let's do that. Uh, so he goes in there and, and, and wins this title. But uh, yeah, it, it would seem to me he probably had some connections, right? The friend of a friend, maybe, gets called out of the, the stands to win the title. Well... I certainly remember the fateful day when a man came out of the crowd and injured Hulk Hogan. I think we all remember where we were then. And a nine-year-old Ben Folks wrote a get-well letter to Hulk Hogan. Received back a postcard. Nice. All right. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, I know you don't think you're going to just yank Mark Hunt out of a fight and then go to his Instagram page and it's going to be pictures of the sandwich he had for lunch. Oh, no, my friend. Oh, no. Mark Hunt is going to get on that social media and make liberal use of the middle finger emoji. Seven of them. Seven in a row. I counted. Thank you for counting. This time directed at Dana White, the bald-headed prick who he believes has had it out for him. Although, should be noted, he's also suing the UFC. So what happened here is basically Mark Hunt writes, I'm doing the air quotes thing, uh, a, a column for the Player's Voice, a website, about kind of the damage fighting has done to him and how he feels like he's been kind of jilted by uh, dopers, uh, all the, the different dopers he's had to fight throughout his career. Uh, and he just goes into some detail about... Uh, effects that sound an awful lot like red flags for brain trauma. And then the UFC, who is already being sued by Mark Hunt for, among other things, a, an allegation that they have ignored his, his health and safety concerns, uh, goes ahead and just pulls him right out of the fight, saying they're deeply concerned by this stuff. Mark Hunt gets super pissed off. So that seems to be where we are right now. Mark Hunt has threatened another lawsuit uh, as a result of this, but I don't think so far anything's actually been filed there. What do you say here? I mean, on one hand, I can I can see the UFC being like, all right, he kind of put us in a corner here. We can't really keep putting this guy in the cage if he's if we would be doing the very thing that he is suing us for doing. Uh, on the other hand, for Mark Hunt, who just felt like he was maybe just spouting off, uh, he kind of said that he did not write the thing, that they did an interview, and that he felt like it was taken out of context. And then the UFC just pulls him from it. No, like, testing or anything to confirm that he is suffering from brain trauma. Maybe from the sound of it, it didn't even sound like they really called him up to be like, hey, Mark, what's up with your brain? Just yoink right out of there. 
Yeah, lot to unpack here, Ben. A lot indeed about this situation. I, and I think you laid it out in the correct way. Like if you're the UFC, it kind of puts you in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where Mark Hunt is alleging that you have, have basically uh, caused him harm uh, with the way you've handled the, the promotion of his fight career, physical harm. And then he goes out and writes this story that makes it appear like if you let him fight, that uh, you will be intentionally or or maybe negligently putting him in harm's way again. And yet to pull him out of this fight does seem in some ways spiteful. And I guess maybe it's only loaded that way if you've been around this sport for as long as a lot of us have to see that the UFC has been sort of vindictive and has been sort of spiteful in some of the ways that it has handled several of its personnel decisions, uh, you know, go- going back. But at the same time, like I, yeah, I feel like you kind of have to take the the promoter's side here in in some ways, don't you? Like you can't. I guess you you can't book Mark Hunt in this fight, no questions asked. But I think I would. You're also probably right, Ben, that uh, the move here may have been to have Mark Hunt checked out by a, an independent doctor. Well, here's my question: If Mark Hunt is not suing the UFC right now, but everything else is the same, same column and everything, same career, all that stuff, but there is no pending lawsuit. Does Mark Hunt get pulled from this fight? It's an interesting question. I guess there's no way to know. I mean, the uh, my gut instinct would be to say no, but I mean, it also legitimately changes things if the lawsuit is about, you know, Mark Hunt suffering physical damage that the UFC allowed to happen in what he believes is is like negligent circumstances. Right. But, you know, I mean, I feel like fighters have walked up to this line before, maybe not quite as explicitly as Mark Hunt saying, I slur my words and I can't remember anything. Uh, But definitely fighters have talked about uh, worrying that they have symptoms of trauma or that they will have symptoms of trauma. I mean, George St. Pierre talked about missing time from his memory. Uh, Other fighters have talked about, uh, you know, some of the damage that they feel is piling up. You know, Carlos, you had Carlos Condit talking about being concerned about brain health stuff, and now he's coming back. So it's not as if it's completely unprecedented for fighters to talk about, hey, here's what I think fighting is doing to me or, you know, is is about to do. Like, we've been in that area before, maybe not this explicitly. And yet this is unprecedented for the UFC to just basically – read a guy's comment somewhere and then say, you're out. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is Cain Velasquez talking about how bad, like his uh, back injury, I believe it was, uh, you know, to ESPN, to Brett Akamoto, and then the athletic commission uh, pulling him out of that fight. And it seemed like, okay, that was directly tied to the comments you made. But I can't ever call the UFC doing it this way. Yeah, I guess I don't really either. Uh, But it also seems... Uh, like if you are Mark Hunt, if you are any fighter in this situation, I don't know that you could really be surprised about it, right? Like you, uh, even though well, you I could get, be surprised because it's never happened, right? But I mean, you you quote unquote author or take part in this this story where you're basically admitting that you are are already seeing uh, red flags of brain damage and CTE and all these other stuff. Uh, you can't really be surprised if you get if you get pulled out of the fight. Uh, after that, even though Mark Hunt, I think it does, as you said, alleges that he did feel like he was taken out of context, but you got to take that kind of stuff with a grain of salt. We've seen uh, Mark Hunt's interactions with the media before. Yes. Often uh, feels like he is taken out of context if there's consequences to his remarks. Right. So like, I, you got to take that with a grain of salt. I'm just saying like, you know, if you got a fight coming up and you want to make that date uh, and you are intent on fighting, I don't know that you make comments like this and then and then feel surprised if 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 you get taken out of it. Yeah, but then I wonder, what are we saying? Don't tell us if you think you might be suffering from brain trauma. <laughs> right. Keep it yeah. to yourself. No, I mean, like, I think the, the your best practices here is probably if you feel like you're suffering from brain trauma, maybe that's maybe that's it for you. Maybe you're done fighting. Yeah. Well, and, and if he is suffering from those symptoms, like the actual symptoms he described, then he definitely should not fight. And the UFC should not let him fight. Uh, it's just, I guess, kind of hard to know at this point. And also, if you're the UFC, did you just set a precedent that you might find difficult to stick to in the future? Uh, is it now a rule that if anybody talks about, like, hey, I, I feel like maybe this might be doing something to my brain, is that it? 
Uh, and if it is it, is it it temporarily? Is it it until they can get a doctor's note? Is it it permanently because it's your brain and it, it might not, you know, bounce back from something like that? I don't know. I mean, I think that that it presents a lot of interesting questions that have not been sorted out yet. I know this is going to blow your mind, Ben, but at times the UFC has been known to be inconsistent. What? In its, uh... You see how it's on one side of my mouth? What? See, I feel like that's even even more difficult to read than what from before. Really? I feel like mine is I put a little extra spin, a little extra English on it. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe I'm just too emotionally close to it to we'll judge We'll let the viewers, <laughs> listeners decide here. Uh, anything else you want to say about this Mark Hunt UFC situation? Like, I don't even know what the way forward here is after this. I know it involves a lot of emojis. <laughs> yes, probably some more middle fingers coming our way. They but might have to invent some new emojis. If you're the UFC, like, Mark Hunt just kind of has to be done with you, right? Like, you, I don't know okay. what you do from here. But then that that is the other aspect of it is if you decide, like, okay, we are so concerned about this guy's brain trauma issues that he can't fight for us anymore, then don't you have to release him from his contract? Well, yeah, I think if you want to if you want to wash your hands, you want to get out of the Mark Hunt business. I feel like you do have to release him from his contract. Yeah, and that's I mean, probably the right thing to do. Also, you can't hold on to him like that. If he wants to fight, you can't not let him fight. But you know, because you think he's not fit, but also you know, not let him fight anywhere else if he wants to try and do that. I I don't see how you could keep him under contract after that. And we know Mark Hunt gets released from his UFC contract. He's not liable to just call it good, go back home, yeah. right? Open a deli. He's going to be fighting uh, Ian McCall in an, in an open weight contest <laughs> yes. over there in Ryzen in about two weeks. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, we're about three weeks away from UFC 217, live from Madison Square Garden in New York City. That'll be a three-title extravaganza featuring the women's strawweight division, the bantamweight division, and the middleweight division with all titles on the line. I guess my opening question for you is how many more Michael Bisping, George St. Pierre face-offs do you think we can squeeze in in the next 20 days or so? 20 days? We do one a day, do you think, or is that overkill? Oh, I mean, if you're if you got them together for a day, you're not going to just do one. I mean, you, I could see sixty, sixty more face-offs. Do one for every market. Yeah, just sort of be like, all right, guys, give it up for Toledo, Michael Bisping, <laughs> and George St. Pierre. Yeah, just like you're doing, like just shout-outs for local radio stations. Does is it just me, or does it seem like we've gotten these guys together? 150 times leading up to this fight so they could engage in sometimes half drunken, sometimes awkward, sometimes insincere trash talk followed by uh, a Dana White officiated face off. Yeah. Okay. About the insincere thing. And I've heard this lodged a few times before, and I guess it's, you know, meant for Michael Bisping, like doing his Michael Bisping thing. I don't know how sincere i need to feel like any animosity is because there's never any question for me that michael bisping is basically doing michael bisping i mean he's ratcheting up the volume on it a little bit but that's him being him out there right no i i don't disagree with that and i don't and i think you're right i don't know that we need a lot of sincerity from michael bisping in our uh, in our feuds, and in fact, as we've talked about numerous times before, the thing that's awesome about Michael Bisping is that he can drum up a blood feud with absolutely every opponent. But this one seems a little bit different, doesn't it? Just because George St. Pierre is not a fighter from Michael Bisping's weight class. It's not as though we have a uh, Jorge Rivera beef type situation here. And this is the fight Michael Bisping almost insisted on, rather than defending his title against you know, Robert Whitaker or Luke Rockhold or uh, Yoel Romero when he was more of a viable contender. This is the thing it seems like the middleweight division has been sitting around waiting for for over a year now. And the, we all know the reason Bisping want, wants it ain't that he's mad at George St. Pierre. No, but I don't need that to be the case in order for me to feel like uh, a not quite animosity, but a, 
like a, a rivalry is there. I don't need it to feel like it's a personal, I really dislike this guy thing. I mean, I think there's a few things that ring true for me about this situation. One, you're obviously right that Michael Bisping wanted this fight because of money like, and because it seemed like maybe an easier fight to him than fighting somebody like Yuel Romero or Bobby Knuckles or, or even a rematch with Luke Rockhold. Uh, I think he, he saw that this one against a smaller guy who's been out for a few years is going to be more money for less danger. Um, so, yeah, of course, why wouldn't he want that fight? Um, I also think, though, that he is right to recognize that George St. Pierre is trying to pull a Randy Couture here. Like when Randy Couture retired as a light heavyweight after getting knocked out by Chuck Liddell for a second time and then saw Tim Sylvia as heavyweight champion and thought, well, shit, I could beat that guy. Uh, and came out of retirement basically just because of who was heavyweight champion. Uh, felt like the circumstances were kind of advantageous to him in that weight class at that time. And was right in Tim Sil- in Randy Couture and Tim Sylvia's case. But uh, I think Michael Bisping looks at it and sees George St. Pierre, saw, who never wanted to fight middleweight before, saw the situation now and said, here's my chance. Here's my best chance to go out there and be a two-division UFC champion and make a bunch more money. Um, it's to beat Michael Bisping, who is the least scary middleweight champ we've seen in years in that division. And I'm sure there's a part of Michael Bisping who has been underestimated his entire career because people just don't like him or because his fighting style doesn't seem like it's as big a risk to knock your head off. I'm sure there's a part of him that feels like that is a, a bit of a personal insult, and he wants to go out there and beat George St. Pierre up. And when he goes out there and he's in Canada saying, like, here's your guy, Canada, enjoy it while you can, because he's going to get rolled up on when we fight. I believe Michael Bisping believes that. I don't believe that that's just hype on his part. I think he really believes that that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, that's a good point, because Bisping has, throughout his career, been the most called out guy on the UFC roster. It's been the story of his entire journey in the UFC is that every time you turn around, somebody thinks Mike Bisping is the, is the easy fight to take. Uh, and more often than not, they've ended up being wrong just because I do think that Michael Bisping is a better fighter than maybe we've kind of ever given him credit for for the entirety of his career. Uh, so, yeah, if you think, well, here comes a 175-pound guy who is retired, thinks I'm the easiest guy to, to beat, uh, that would kind of tick you off. I could see how that would be easy if you're Bisping to drum up some animosity with this with this guy that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have any with. And I guess the flip side of that coin, Ben, is do you think that Bisping is succeeding in getting under George St. Pierre's skin? Because despite the fact that when he walked away, George St. Pierre, uh, you know, said all this stuff about walking the razor's edge of being the UFC champion for so many years and, uh, you know, how he had had to go to his dark place before fights. We haven't seen a ton of emotion from him in his career leading up to this. Uh, Not in every fight anyway. Maybe we get it a little around the edges in the Nick Diaz uh, rivalry, but do you feel like George St. Pierre is getting a little bit worked up here in a legitimate way before this fight with Michael Bisping? No. You think it's all for show? Yes. You think it's, it's you know, maybe George spent some time at the improv acting classes while he was away from the octagon? You know, I think, like, you can get me to believe that Michael Bisping has the power to annoy anybody. That is not a hard leap mentally for me to make. Uh, I'm sure that there are going to be moments during all this stuff where Jordan St. Pierre is legitimately annoyed. But as far as under his skin in any way that's going to affect him, it's George St. Pierre we're talking about. You know, Nick Diaz got under his skin during those, like, pre-fight media stuff. But still, when he went out there to fight, he did George St. Pierre stuff. I don't. I, I think it's going to be really tough to take a guy like George St. Pierre out of his game just by being enough of a dick to him before the fight. I feel like it's going to be super interesting to see how this event fares on pay-per-view because you got George St. Pierre, who in his heyday was a guy who w- could go out there with a store mannequin dummy and pull 700,000 pay-per-view buys, right? I don't know that the audience exists quite to that extent for George St. Pierre anymore, but you got three titles on the line. You got Bisping St. Pierre, you got Garbrandt Dillashaw, and you got Joanna Jacek against Rose Namajunas. So it kind of feels like you are pulling out all the stops in a way for this November 4th pay-per-view uh, UFC 217. And at the same time, I'm not sure that th- that it's that this is going to do huge numbers on pay-per-view, but but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't have a sense of it, and maybe I will be surprised when the numbers come back in. Well, if you look at this card, it's like it should do big numbers it's on pay-per-view. Great, it's a great card. It, I mean, it's 
arguably better just in total than the last big UFC card at Madison Square Garden. You know, I like every single one of those title fights offers you something and it's something different and every single one of them every single one of them is is a fight that I definitely want to see. Uh it does seem like the UFC's promotion for it at least so far has been a little bit lazy or just a little bit like well hey we just we put all the pieces in play and now like you're going to buy this shit. Like you know we're we're not working too hard to convince you of exactly what's going on. Like even, you know, I saw Ariel Hawani talking about it, even uh, like Dana White coming out for the press conference and just basically being like, all right, you guys know who these guys are. Here, what are, what are your questions? And you're just like, really? That's, that's your response to trying to put together this like, you know, cross divisional super fight with, featuring one of the greatest fighters ever in UFC history. Uh, then, you know, you look down on the card, you got this, the men's bantamweight title fight might be, like on paper, one of the most interesting and competitive fights of the year that we've seen in, in UFC. Uh, Joanna Yanjacek continuing her reign of dominance and taking on a really fun uh, fighter to watch just with, with an interesting personality, interesting story, and Thug Rose. Like that right there, just those top three, you have a lot to promote there. And it yeah. seems like the UFC just kind of takes for granted that uh, – will show up for this one. Well, and this might be the, like, quite literally the multi-million dollar question. Do you think that Canada will show out for George St. Pierre the way it used to? Or, like, we're dudes that were hardcore George St. Pierre fans back in 2013. You know, now they got an office job somewhere. They're not at <laughs> university anymore. Are they... Which now they can afford the pay-per-view. They don't have to illegally stream it. Yeah, are, the, are those people still going to be interested enough to, to buy... A George St. Pierre pay-per-view in the numbers that they used to. It's hard for me to see those people missing a George St. Pierre comeback. Even if you kind of drifted away from hardcore MMA fandom, even if you basically only followed the sport by listening to the co-main event podcast these days, and of course by subscribing to the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. It's really easy to unsubscribe. But why would you want to? Uh, I, it's hard for me to believe that when that night rolls around, you're going to be like, nah. Not interested in George St. Pierre's comeback plus two other awesome title fights. See what's on TV. See what's... See, walk down to the neighbor's house and drink some beers in his garage and, and talk about uh, high school soccer. No, you're not going to do that. You're, by the time the fight rolls around, you're going to be into it. I feel like that'll be interesting and like a good... Like a positive comment on George St. Pierre if, if he shows up after all this time and he's still sort of Canada's favorite son. He just picks up right where he left off. Uh, is there hockey that night, though? I mean, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm the one who should be asking you. There's probably hockey that night. I assume there is. The hockey season, right? I keep seeing people tweeting about how they're at hockey games. What are the Habs doing? If the Habs are off that night, we could be in business. If only there were some kind of electronic resource we could go to to see There's no way what to the know. schedule was like for November the 4th. You can only guess at it. You want to do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week? Sure. Well, Ben, what's your just saying stuff this week? Well, Chad, I know you saw this Twitter back and forth pop up between your dude Connor McNuggets and, and T-Ferg, El Kakui. Wait, wait, Connor McNuggets? You know the guy I'm talking about. Irish guy? Yeah. About 5'9"? That's right. Facial hair? Chest First, tattoo? Connor McGregor kind of breaks his silence among the, you know, about with all the guys calling him out to post a picture just with the, the letters T-O-N-Y. Just a message for Tony Ferguson and a an image that is very lazily taken from like a Grand Theft Auto image of a guy like riding a speedboat with a gun in it and money flying out of the thing. And even like it's to the point where it just like slaps Conor McGregor's face and tattoos on there and the proportions look off. But you're like, OK, still kind of cool. Like it's a cool way, I guess, to respond to somebody's call out. Uh, but then T-Ferg comes back at you. Not with just, like, a Grand Theft Auto-themed image, but a fucking video, Chad. Like, a video full of, like, different meme images, some semi-original artwork, uh, all set to cool Grand Theft Auto kind of themed music. I'm just saying, round one goes to Tony Ferguson there. Wow. Maybe surprisingly. Surprisingly, yeah. Social media game on point there. Like, he took what you gave. He, he was like, okay, that's the theme that you want to work with? Here, let me take that theme and make it even better. 
and make it into like a multimedia presentation, not just an image. You're just saying? I'm just saying. Tony Ferguson off to an early lead here. Well, Ben, speaking of social media and multimedia presentations, this week I'm just saying all the people out there need to go on YouTube and check out the 12-minute long highlight package of Mike Perry. And by YouTube, you mean MMA Junkie because you can find it there. It's in both places. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Uh, it was produced by Super Fights, I believe, if you go to the YouTube and you want to search for it. That's how you find it. As Ben noted, it's also up at MMA Junkie. You can find it there. Some good editing work by Super Some Fights. Some terrific here. editing. If you want to get to the <laughs> essence of Platinum Mike, you can do it in, the, in this highlight video, including... Uh, some stellar back and forth between he and Jake Ellenberger. Yes. That you might not have heard leading no, up to, I their, heard to their fight originally. But uh, you want to know uh, exactly what what Mike Perry is putting down, you can you can get to it in this YouTube video. It's it's tremendous. My favorite part of it, well, for one thing, like these guys really did some, like found some deep cuts of Mike Perry. One of them is of like a video of him and I don't know what the larger context was, but he's kind of like talking and, he, and then he just says, just put this out there. I got off probation the same day as John Jones. And you're like, what? What is that supposed to tell me? What does that mean? He's just he's speaking in codes, deja vus and coincidences. Yeah. Also, the best part is or one of my other favorite parts is when he talks about seeing Jake Ellenberger in the fighter hotel. And now he didn't really talk shit to him then. Just gave him a little bit. What's up, motherfucker? You should watch it. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at this fight night event from Gdansk and then look ahead to the next fight night event featuring Derek Brunson against a returning Lyoto Machida. That one will be from Sao Paulo. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. The thing I wonder is, did he mean that he literally said, What's up, motherfucker? Or is it, that, was that just like kind of the tone of his remarks in general? I almost guarantee you that Mike Perry said that. Literally? Yes, literally said In that, in that voice, do you think his voice went up that high? Well, let me ask you this. High. Do you feel like platinum Perry traffic's a metaphor? <laughs> you know, when you put it that way, I do not get that.